This morning, I'm going to be reading through quite a lot of scripture, so I'm not going to have you turn to a particular passage. You're certainly welcome to. Uh, James has already given us context for what we'll be entering into starting on Wednesday with our church-wide fast. It has traditionally become one of the most important times of the year for us as a church community. I always know that when people that are hungering for the Lord before Christmas start talking about the fast, you know that that's a significant time for them. And I've heard people since Thanksgiving talking about they can't wait to get to the fast. And uh, James even encouraged us last, a few weeks ago, that we could start then if we wanted to. Uh, I haven't asked him if he did, but uh, maybe some of you have. Fasting is a good tradition, a good discipline to be in. I'm intrigued with the first words Jesus speaks in the Gospel of John. They're not his first words, obviously. They're the first words that John records him speaking in his writing of the Gospel. They're spoken to a couple of disciples who'd been following his cousin, John the Baptist. And they have been faithful to John, but they take off after Jesus when John tells them that he, this Jesus, is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And, and they, they begin to go after Jesus. They see him walking and they just start following him. And as they do, Jesus turns to them and says, what are you seeking? What are you seeking? Jesus was famous for asking questions. And in that moment, he didn't say, hey, how are you? Welcome, glad you're here. I've been looking for some followers, need some guys to help me out. He simply said, what are you seeking? Interestingly enough, later in John's gospel, Jesus says something very similar to a mob who's come to arrest him in the garden of Gethsemane. And with them is Judas, one of his own disciples, but also a platoon of soldiers with torches and weapons. But Jesus steps up with more authority than all of them. And he steps up and he says, whom are you seeking? Not what this time, but rather whom? And towards the end of that gospel, the gospel of John, <clears throat> After Jesus has risen from the dead, he says it again to a bewildered Mary who is standing next to an empty tomb. And he looks at her and he says, whom do you seek? It makes me realize that we are all seekers. We are all seeking something or someone. Maybe you're seeking direction or recognition or new opportunities Maybe you're seeking a spouse or a friend or a place to belong. Maybe you're seeking forgiveness or comfort or hope. But whatever it is, we are all seeking. And just like Jesus asked these disciples and that angry mob and a grieving Mary, I believe that he is asking us the same questions. What are you seeking? And whom do you seek? Now, we are a church, we're a church family. And so we know the answer to every question asked in church is Jesus. Well, that's what my grandkids think. Most kids in Sunday school, if you ask them a question, they're like, Jesus, he's gotta be the answer, right? 
and he is the answer. But we as a church are gathered here today to worship him and to uh, seek his face and to and to gain knowledge and wisdom from him and to experience and encounter the presence of God. And so, if we were to ask each of us here and stand up here with the mic and, and we were to ask you, whom do you seek? Probably most of us would say, well, I'm seeking the Lord, of course. It's the right answer. But I want us to encourage, I want to encourage us to just set aside the easy answer right now. I want to encourage us to just uh, let down the religious guard. I want to encourage us to not just do the normal, what we think everybody would expect us to say answer. I want us to actually take today and the coming weeks especially as we start this new year and as we enter in as a church family into this church fast, I want us to truly examine our hearts. What am I seeking? Whom do I seek? And I think if we examine ourselves, if we're honest with ourselves, we will all have to admit that sometimes we do a very poor job of seeking the Lord. I think we'll have to be honest with ourselves and say a lot of times our motives are mixed and our pursuits are double-minded and seeking after other things is so much easier than seeking after him. Moses spoke to Israel about this tendency he, he knew that they were prone to be mixed in motives and duplicitous in, af, in effort and to seek after other things rather than the God who had saved and delivered them from Egypt. And he spoke to them and warned them that if they strayed from God, they would most certainly be disciplined. And they, in the process, would be reduced. And they would even, in certain moments, be scattered abroad. He warned them. He spoke it on numerous occasions. They knew their tendency, and yet they were still prone to do it. But in the midst of the warning came what also could be considered as a promise. And he said it to them in Deuteronomy 4, 29. But from there, but from there, where? From where? The place of Discipline, the place of being scattered, the place of reduction, where we find ourselves having strayed from him. From there, in that place, you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him. If you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. What a promise. What a promise couched right into the midst of a warning. That you're going to stray, and when you do, if you will seek the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul, you will find him. God had Moses say these things because he knew very well Israel would not heed the warning. And he knew very well that they would therefore need the promise. And so do we. We need the promise. Throughout their history, 
You read it in the Bible. You, you see the same cycle of God's people over and over again, straying from him, forgetting him, moving towards idol worship, and then having to be disciplined and sometimes scattered. It's a cycle you read over and over again. Just go to Judges or First and Second Kings, or First and Second Chronicles, in so many instances, we see this habitually happening for God's people. They forget, and then they stray, and then they worship idols, and God has to discipline them. But if, in that place, they will search the Lord with all their heart and all their soul, the word says, Moses promised, God says, there you will find me. And as we're examining our hearts today, and I, I hope that you are, and as we examine our hearts throughout these next several weeks, wherever you find yourself, wherever there is for you, remember, if you search the Lord with all your heart and soul, he will be found. Because this cycle was so much a part of their history, it's why God had to continually send his prophets to warn them and to call them back to himself, like he did through the prophet Isaiah, who said to them in Isaiah 55, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God that he may abundantly pardon. What a promise. That's 700 years after Moses said what he did. Now Isaiah is saying this seven centuries later. But the warnings had come before and they will come after because 70 years after Isaiah, another prophet arises. His name is Zephaniah. He's actually the great-grandson of Hezekiah, the great king. And Zephaniah, another of God's prophets, is speaking mostly in his book about the day of the Lord, the day of judgment. But in the midst of him saying this, he speaks to them in Zephaniah 2, 3, and he says, Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, who do his just commands Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. I love that phrase, the humble of the land. I ask myself a lot of times how, how much I'm controlled by my pride or how much my humility comes through. I, I see a lot of people who profess that they know Jesus and I do it myself sometimes, who are so much more proud than they ought to be. Are we the humble of the land? Do people look at the church and do they call them, oh, that group's humble? <laughs> Not today. No. They have a lot of words for the church in America today. And I'm not saying their, their perspective is accurate. I'm just saying they would never call the church humble. And that's an indictment on the church. But after Zephaniah came another prophet, you know him, Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. 
And he restated so many of these challenges and warnings, but he also restated the promise when he said in Jeremiah 29, 12, then, then, remember then, there, then, in that place, when that happens, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. And you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Just like Jesus is asking questions of us, like he asked those disciples and Mary and that mob, what are you seeking? Whom do you seek? These prophets are asking questions of us too. They're speaking not only to the people that were contemporaries with them, those that were in their their time span of life, they're speaking down through the ages, even to 2023. It's the first time I've said that. They're speaking today to us, just as Jesus is speaking, what do you seek and whom do you seek? They are challenging us to seek the Lord while he may be found. They are challenging us to seek his righteousness, a right relationship with him where what he did for us is imputed to us because we couldn't be righteous on our own. He is, they are challenging us to seek humility and not pride. They are challenging us to call upon him and to pray. And when we seek him with all our heart, he promises that we will find him. Is there any better promise than that. Maybe the best role model we find in the Bible for how to seek the Lord and, and, and his examples and his witness to it is, is so clear. It's probably King David. He was called a man after God's own heart. And in every stage of his life, he sought the Lord. Every stage. As a young boy, he was shepherding his father's sheep. And in those places, he was learning about God. He was seeking after God. He was learning the strength of God to even protect his father's sheep from a lion and a bear throwing the tiger, oh my. Nobody got that. Some did. He's learning how to seek God as a boy but he also is a psalmist in those days. And as he grows older, he learns how to worship the Lord and seek his face. And he's learning how to seek the Lord as being a mighty warrior who slew a giant, but went on to slay all of God's enemies. And he's learning how to seek the Lord even as a king. For he was a man after God's own heart. We get insight into David's seeking the Lord all throughout the Psalms. You can almost just see it in every single page. I've just picked out a few of my favorites, like Psalm 63.1. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that and really consider it, really meditate upon it, I get really convicted. I don't know that that's how I seek God. Have you ever been thirsty, truly thirsty? 
Imagine yourself out in a desert. I grew up in New Mexico, there's desert all around. You could walk for miles and never see any water. No creeks, very little rivers, very little bodies of water. You could get stuck out there and die of dehydration, dehydration easily. But imagine you're in that place and all you desire is something to quench your thirst, something to, to give you life. And that's all that's on your mind. There is nothing else that you're paying attention to. I'm thirsty. And you'll do anything for a drink of water. That's how David says we should see God. Like we're in a desert, in a parched land, in a dry, in a dry land where we long for him to quench our thirst. Our flesh is fainting for lack of water. When I read that, my soul thirsts for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I have to ask myself, do I seek God like that? Do you? Should we? I also like Psalm 105.3 where he says, glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Uh, I had coffee with Keith Curry this last week. And what a blessing, by the way, for our church community to have Keith and Trish moving here from uh, Mobile. Uh, Patricia's been here and Keith is getting here more. He's going back and forth. But we're blessed that they're here as a part of our community. They're tremendous friends, longtime friends of ours. But we were talking, Keith and I were having breakfast or just coffee, and he was sharing with me that the word presence is common translation for the Hebrew word face. So that when you read the scripture, in your presence, there is fullness of joy, it would be best to replace that word presence with face. In your face, there's fullness of joy. I like that. That's really cool. What David is saying here is that we should seek his presence continually, but step it up a little bit. What does that mean for you when you're seeking his face as opposed to just his presence? I could illustrate it this way. Uh, it's one thing for me to be with my wife, to be in her presence. And I like to be in my wife's presence. Um, we are oftentimes sitting in the same room in each other's presence, but we can be doing two totally separate things. Now, it's fun to do that. I'd prefer to do it with her in the room than I would with her out of the room. But it's a big difference from being in her presence to looking in her face. When I look in her face, it requires more of me it requires, and I get more back from her. It requires a more intimate experience than it does just being in the presence of someone. And I think a lot of times we in the church like the presence of God as long as we don't have to look at him in the face. But David said we should not just be in the same room with God. We should be with him face to face. Because of this, David says in another portion in Psalm 27, you have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, will I seek. 
And that's quite fitting for David to have said that because just four verses earlier in chapter 27, he says this, one thing have I asked of the Lord and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze. See the face aspect to that? To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire, to meditate to fully immerse myself in his temple. I especially love the way David seeks the Lord throughout his writings. And maybe one of the best and most profound is the description he gives in Psalms 24 of those who do seek God. He says this, Psalm 24, three, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him. Wow. Who seek the face of God, of the God of Jacob. Such is the generation of those who seek his face. I love that. Wouldn't it be cool if it was said of our generation, such is the generation who seek his face. Those who seek his face shall ascend and stand before him in the holy place. Those who seek his face shall have clean hands and a pure heart and shall not live in falsehood and deceit because of what he has done for us. And purchasing our salvation. And those who seek his face, they will receive the Lord's blessing and his righteousness. Wouldn't it be great if that's what they called us? So, as we come into this new year, which we are here today, and as we enter into a season where our church community will pray and fast and seek the Lord. I'm encouraging you to examine your heart, every one of us. Look deep within and ask yourself, what is it I'm seeking? Or more appropriately, whom do I seek? We are called, all of us that are in Christ Jesus. And if you're here and not in Christ Jesus, you too are being called. That's probably why you're here. We are called to seek the Lord while he may be found. We are called to seek his presence continually, to seek his face continually, and to be known as a people after God's own heart. Amen. Donna's going to come and we're going to pray for you and also prepare us as we get ready for the Lord's table. We gather on the first Sunday of every month at the Lord's table, and it is a time of special significance because it's one thing the Lord told us to do always in remembrance of him. And so as a community, we gather together at the Lord's table. And when we do, you get to come if you're with the Lord. If you're not a part of this church, that doesn't exclude you from the table because it's the Lord's table, not ours. We'll give you instructions in just a moment, but I'd like for you to be preparing your heart even now 
as Donna shares and as we begin to pray. So many of the um, Christian writers from even the 1800s forward have said that pride is our greatest enemy as believers. And so it stands to reason that humility is our greatest friend. Hmm. C.S. Lewis defines humility as having a right view of ourselves in relationship to God and others and then acting accordingly. Hmm. I think it's because humility makes us hungry for God. Ultimately, having that posture keeps us leaning into him, keeps us listening, keeps us responding. And any other path is dangerous because it leads us back to ourselves. That's true. There is a way that seems right to us and it is not good. That's right. It leads to destruction. It leads to death. So my prayer for us today is that as we step into this season of prayer and fasting, that we start with letting God examine us so that we begin with his perspective on who he is and on who we are. And that posture will keep us hungry throughout the fast, the good kind of hungry, Mm -hmm. the hungry for him. Yes. I'd like to ask those who will be serving at the table to come up now and uh, grab the trays, if you will. We'll have four stations, two on this side and two on this side. And we'll ask for you to come in groups of six, eight, ten. I've seen them larger. Whatever is uh, appropriate. Don't come alone. We're a family. And so if you're here and you don't know someone, uh, someone's going to grab you and encourage you to come with them. Um, You come with someone. And in that place, they will serve the bread and serve the cup And we'll take together as a group. And then at the end, we'll all wait for one another and then conclude our time with the song. Don and I are going to pray for us as a community as we set our face in this time of seeking him, seeking his face. And we're also going to pray for the bread and for the wine. Father, thank you that you sit enthroned above it all. And that knowledge helps us humble ourselves. That seeing the truth of who you are, our only response is humility. Thank you for driving us to our knees by the knowledge of you and your greatness, sometimes by circumstances by our own choices, when we're desperate. You don't care how we come, Father, but that we come. Yes. So we take this moment today to come to your table, to come to you. Yes. Communion is one way that we can seek your face. And we don't want to miss this opportunity to be obedient, to come and say, search us, know us, try us, see if there be any wicked way in us.
and lead us into the everlasting way. Yes, Lord. We set aside this time, Lord. We ask that you would help us examine our hearts. Shed a light upon us, Lord, in the way we've been living, the way we've been acting, whether we believe or not, where we're faithless, where we're proud, where we're short-sighted, where we're walking in sin, where we are doing what Israel did and straying and forgetting and even turning to idols. Lord, we, we really want to be those who seek the face of God. We want to be face to face with you, not just in the same room with you, but where you can look at us and we can look at you and know that what you did for us made a way. Where you look at us and you see the good work that you did being worked out with fear and trembling. Lord, we ask that you would speak to us as a community, that you would move in our midst that you would purify our hearts, that you would make things that are crooked straight, that you would make things that are bondages be broken, that you would make things that have been sicknesses healed, that you would make those things where we have been captive, we would find ourselves free. God, move and speak, we ask. We come to your table now and ask that even as we gather and remember you, that the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, which was given for us, would not only sustain us, but infuse us with your life. That the old man would be put off, and that the new man, which is in Christ Jesus, would be alive and well. And we pray that the blood of Jesus, which is the cup of the new covenant, the wine that we drink today, that it will remind us once again of the ultimate sacrifice you paid for us, that you died on a cross, that we could be forgiven our sins and restored to fellowship with you. Wash us again. Wash us afresh with the blood of Jesus. Wash us white as snow. We commit this to you and do it in remembrance of you. In your name we pray. Amen.